0: Uh, and we're going to pick up right where we left off last week. Open up to Matthew 26. And we're going to start right in verse 61, right in the middle of that second trial, just to get the little flavor for where we're going. And uh, if you're there, give me a big amen. Matthew 26:61. So this is the Sanhedrin. Again, it's the Supreme Court of the land. It's the highest court in Judaism, right? And uh, uh, here they're gathered together and they don't have witnesses. They're looking for witnesses, which is messed up. They're not supposed to be prosecuting, they're supposed to be judging. And they have these two false witnesses that stand up, verse 61, and they say, this fellow, speaking of Jesus, said, I am able to destroy the temple of God And to build it in three days. We looked at this last week. Jesus never said that. They're trying to bring a charge that Jesus is trying to destroy the temple. Jesus never said, I'm going to destroy the the temple. He said, you're going to destroy the temple. And he was referring to his body. And he says, and when you destroy it, I will raise it up. I'll resurrect from the, from the ground in three days. Resurrect from the dead. Um, verse 62. And the high priest arose and said, What is it that these men testify against you? But Jesus kept silent. And the high priest answered and said to him, I put you under oath of the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. Christ is the word Messiah. Tell us if you are the Messiah, the one that was prophesied in all of scriptures. Tell us if you are the Messiah and the Son of God, because Jesus had been professing to be the Son of God. And uh, now he puts Jesus under the oath of a living God, under the order of the high priest, and the law. Uh, Jesus can't break the law. The law says you have to answer, and so Jesus answers. And look what he says: "It is as you said. Nevertheless, I say to you that hereafter you will see this. <coughs> excuse me, see the Son of Man, uh, a term in the Old Testament for the Messiah. You will see the Son of Man, me, the Messiah, sitting at the right hand of power." And coming on the clouds of heaven. Uh, This was a prophecy from Daniel chapter 7 and from the Psalms about the Messiah coming to rule and to reign on the earth and to judge all wickedness. Jesus is saying, Yes, you're correct. I'm the Messiah, and you're not going to see me again until you see me coming to rule and to judge you for the wickedness. Wow. Verse 63, excuse me, verse 65. Then the high priest tore his clothes, saying, He has spoken blasphemy. What is blasphemy? What is blasphemy? Okay. Something that is super offensive to God. The blasphemy in this case they are saying is that this man is claiming to be God. Uh, Why is it blasphemy? Because Jesus clearly claimed here to be the Messiah and to be God. And they didn't believe he was either. And they said, this man has spoken blasphemy. What further need do we have of witnesses? Look, you have heard his blasphemy. What do you think? And they took a vote. Of the 71 elders of the Sanhedrin. And they answered and they all voted, he is deserving of death. The verdict and the sentence all pronounced right there on the spot. Then they spat on his face and they beat him and others struck him with the palms of their hands, saying, prophesy to us, Christ. Who is it who struck you? And so all through the night, they beat him. Uh, The other gospels will tell us they put a bag over his head and punched him in the face and laughed and jeered and said, oh, tell us, who struck you? Now, here's the thing, did he know? Oh, man. And I imagine the angels in heaven were just like, oh, let me Adam, let me Adam, right? I mean, just uh, waiting for the word, Jesus to speak. And yet Jesus takes every blow, every injustice uh, beyond... I mean, just demonic activity just motivating all of these these cruel behaviors. Just incredible to consider. Um, And so now we move in uh, now to uh, this, you know, next section, which really... uh, looks at Peter's life, uh, you know, what's going on with Peter behind the scenes. So all this is going on, it's through the night, and uh, verse 68 is really, uh, excuse me, verse 69 is really kind of what's going, if we, if it, you were looking chronologically, time would kind of go back now in time. This was happening during all this trial of the Sanhedrin, right? Um, so here's uh, verse 69, we look at Peter's life now. Now Peter sat outside in the courtyard, Uh, Sat outside in the courtyard. Courtyard of who? Where is he? He's in the courtyard of the Sanhedrin. He's outside and he's watching from afar. If you look at verse 58, it tells us that Peter was following Jesus from a distance. Uh, all the disciples have, be, have left Jesus. Uh, they've all denied him. They've all scattered their ways. And Peter, he wants to know what's going on, but he doesn't want to be associated with Jesus. He's in the courtyard of the enemy. And John's gospel tells us he's warming himself by the enemy's fire. So he's there. He's sitting in the courtyard. And a servant girl came to him, saying... You also were with Jesus of Galilee, but he denied it before them, before them all, saying, I do not know what you are saying. Uh, he denied it before them all. Who's the them all? All the people there are for sitting. who are they? What, what, who are they associated with? there are all the the uh, the, the the soldiers and the the guys who arrested Jesus, and the, I mean, it's late night, right? This is the middle of the night, and this this mock trial is going on, and it's just the leaders of, of the soldiers and stuff that are sitting around who are there with them and Peter is worried about them and this girl, and he, he wants to gain their favor, and uh, look what he says. He says, uh, I don't know what you're saying. I don't really know what you're talking about uh, who's Jesus, who's Jesus, what the heck, right? Uh, Verse 71, and when he had gone out to the gateway, he tries to get away from this situation, uh, a little uncomfortable for Peter, so he goes out to the gateway, and another girl saw him and said to those who were there, this fellow also was with Jesus of Nazareth, but he denied it. With an oath, I do not know the man. Uh, this time, uh, before, he, what did he say last time? I don't really know what you're talking about. This time, what does he do? What, what does it mean that he takes an oath? What does, that, what does that mean? To Give me your thoughts. How, does he, how do you take an oath? I swear. Exactly. I swear. I don't know this man. Interesting, right? And we see a progression here. Look at this next one. Uh, and when he had gone out the uh, where did I leave off what verse do we leave off 73. 73 thank you a little later those who so some time passes a little later I don't know if it's an hour I don't know how long a little later those who stood by came up and said to Peter surely you also are one of them for your speech betrays you Uh, I don't know if that was his accent or the quality of his words, but they noticed, you sound like a man who's been with Jesus. Then he began to curse and to swear, Uh, curse, we know what that is, Uh, bad language, swear, taking oaths, I swear to God, I don't even know the man. And immediately, the rooster crowed. And Peter remembered the word of Jesus, who had said to him, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Let me hear you read these words out loud. So he went out and wept bitterly. Wow, brokenhearted. Goes out and weeps bitterly. Oh, what did I do? Oh, I've been there. I've been there. I want you to notice the progression of Peter's sin. Did you see it? Did you notice it? Notice the progression of Peter's sin. Why do I want to focus on this? Well, it's not for the sake of saying, Peter, you're such a loser. It's for the sake of what? Understanding my own ways and how sin creeps in in our lives. I want you to think where did the progression of Peter's sin, where did it start? I would present to you, it started with pride. How so? Jesus said, All of you are going to deny me tonight. And he said, Not me i am a really good christian i'm a really good man i do the right things i pride myself on doing the right things jesus even if all these deny you i will never deny you whoa what is happening it started with too high view of self Sometimes we read, don't we, of these uh, leaders in religious leaders who have fallen uh, to uh, various sins, and we look at it with disdain, and rightfully so. It's a, it's a black eye for Christianity, but let's be careful that we're not thinking what, like we're beyond that? Uh, Peter thought too highly of himself. And that was the first sin that brought, uh, brought him uh, to this place of denying Jesus. What was the second one? I would present to you, it was prayerlessness. Prayerlessness. Jesus said, hey, guys, come with me. Specifically, you, Peter, Peter, James, and John, you three come with me even closer. And I need you to pray lest you enter into temptation. Pray with me. There's some heavy things about to go down. And instead of praying, what did Peter do? He slept. And prayerlessness was the second step of Peter's downward spiral into his uh, his denial, into his sin. Uh, prayerlessness, uh, it is so important that we pray. Uh, one time the disciples uh, uh, had a, a, a dad that came to, uh, excuse me, the, uh, yeah, the, a dad that came to Jesus and said, Jesus, my, my son is demon possessed, and I brought him to your disciples, and they weren't able to do anything. Jesus said bring him to me and Jesus cast out the demon and healed the son the son had incredible you know, problems. He was uh, tormented. And he's healed right in front of this father. And, and uh, the disciples come to Jesus and they said, why weren't we able to cast him out? Why weren't we able to help this child? And what was Jesus' answer? This kind comes not out but by what? Prayer and, Prayer and fasting. There are some issues in your life that require us to be prayed up. Fasting, to deny our flesh, not giving in to its desires, to have discipline over the flesh so that we can walk in the center of God's will. And it requires prayer and fasting. But when are you supposed to fast and pray? Uh, Not the moment that the demon's in front of you. Well, hang on, I can't cast out the demon yet. Uh, Sorry, Uh, Isaac, I've gotta fast and pray. Uh, No, it doesn't work that way. That fasting and prayer should have been done when? long before long before and peter not praying when he should have been praying now falls into temptation and we see the the progression of peter's sin the third thing that we see in peter is he's following jesus from a distance calamity is awaiting us the moment that we follow jesus from a distance we cannot follow jesus from a distance He is following from a distance. He is saying, well, I still care. I still believe. I still want to love Jesus, but I'm going to do it from far away. Problem. Problem. And it always leads to the next problem of progression of sin is seeking comfort from the enemy's camp. Sinking comfort from the enemy. John's gospel, as I mentioned, tells us he warmed himself by the enemy's fire. And when we are following Jesus from a distance, that is always the next step. Taking comfort in alcohol, taking comfort in pornography, taking comfort in materialism, in the things of the flesh, trying to find comfort in the enemy's camp. It never, ever works. And we see the progression. The next step of Peter's sin, it goes from taking comfort with the enemy to capitulating faith. Notice what he said. You're one of his disciples, aren't you? And what did he say, the first denial? I'm not sure what you're talking about. Oh, Jesus, uh, what do you mean? Jesus, Hmm right? There's this, it's not a denial per se, but it's a capitulation. It's not standing firm saying, yes, I am. And come what may, here I stand. It's going into the office, and the discussion turns on something that you know is against God's will. And instead of taking a stand, we just say, well, whatever, I'll pretend like I didn't really hear or didn't really know. It's capitulating faith, not taking a stand for what we know is right. And where does that lead? Well, it leads ultimately to the utter denial of Jesus. I swear to God, blank, 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 I don't know him. How did that happen? Not all at once. Not all at once. It was a progression. And it started with what, church? A high view of self. Pay attention. We think we're so spiritual. When I see someone who's fallen into sin... I always say, Lord, I know I am made of the same stuff. Help me, Lord, help me. And that keeps me dependent upon Jesus. And it's my dependency upon Jesus that keeps me close to Jesus where the power of Jesus is working in my life so that I don't fall down that path. It's by grace and grace alone. So we see the progression of Jesus' sin. And in it, don't we see, a, a if you will, a, uh, a reflection of Psalm 1? Uh, do you remember Psalm 1? There's a progression of Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. And there's some who see a progression in that. I do as well. Uh, Wait, what are we talking? Walking, standing, what? Sitting. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of God and the word of God. And in his law, in his word, he meditates what? day and night. That's called prayer. That's called prayer. Meditating on God's word so I can apply it to my life. In his law, he meditates day and night. And what does the psalm 1 say? That man will be like a tree planted by a lake, planted by a river, planted by flowing waters. He has deep roots with a constant source of life and his leaf will not fade and 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 uh, he'll always produce fruit and And that's the promise, right? And so we see this progression of Peter's sin. I want you to know something. We cannot follow Jesus from a distance. It is not possible. And we are headed for trouble whenever we try. Yeah, we are headed for sure in sudden disaster. The moment we just say, well, I'm not going to be a fanatic. I'm going to be a believer, but I'm not going to be a fanatic. I'm sorry. There's no option for that. I don't want to be one of those born again type. Is there any other kind? Answer? No, there is no other kind. Jesus said you're either born again or you're not in the kingdom. There is no other kind. We cannot follow Jesus from a distance. I want to ask a question. Why? Why? The answer is shocking. Why can't we follow Jesus from a distance? Can I hear some of your answers? Why? He's the only source for goodness. What's that? He's our only source for righteousness. Well, really good. He's our only source of righteousness. Isaac? I said we're depraved. We're depraved. What does that mean? Uh, it means that, yeah, we have, uh, we were born into sin. We have this man's a young scholar of God's word. I'm so, I mean, he's leading a Bible study here Monday mornings at the church at 5 a.m. through the book of Daniel. I just love watching God work in this life. And both of you have nailed the answer perfectly. The reason that we can't follow Jesus from a distance is because we're totally depraved. We are radically sinful. The only goodness that is in us, we are not basically good people. You know what we basically are? <laughs> selfish prideful arrogant sinners that's who we are and the sad reality is we are so prideful we don't want to believe that we don't believe that We are so prideful, we think we're, we're so amazing that we will not believe that we are totally depraved, but the Bible tells us that we are. We are totally depraved, and the Bible is clear about it. If you don't believe me, here's a verse from the Apostle Paul, and if this is true for the Apostle Paul, how much more us? Look what Paul says, Romans 7. Let me hear you read this. This is Romans 7, 18, uh, a thundering voice. Let me hear you read it together. For I know, That in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good, I find not. Uh, Those parentheses that is in my flesh are not my parentheses. Those are in the scripture, right? I didn't add those. And Paul is saying, I know that is in me. Uh, He means I am in my body, my personal life. Me as a man apart from God dwells what? No good thing. I want to be selfless, but I have this problem. I'm always thinking about myself. I want to put others first. My problem? I always put me first. I want to be kind. But someone cuts me off. I want to love my neighbor as myself, love my neighbor as myself, but I've never loved my neighbor as much as I've loved myself. It's just not in me. It's called a sin nature. And it means it's our nature to sin. And that's who we are. That's who we are. This is our nature. Uh, Isaiah 64 uh, makes it even more emphatic. Look at this verse. Let me hear you read out loud. But we are all like an unclean thing. And our righteousness are like filthy rags. That word almost looks like a misspelling, doesn't it? Uh, what does it say is like filthy rags? Our, righteousness, our righteousnesses, uh, that's a tongue twister, our righteousnesses are like filthy rags. We would think our sin is like filthy rags. What does the Bible just tell us right there? Even our good works are as filthy rags. And the word filthy rags, I don't mean to be overly graphic, but the, the author used this, this term that meant a menstrual cloth. Uh, our, even our good works are really a dirty mess, right? Uh, um, we're all like an unclean thing. Uh, uh, we do something nice for somebody, and what do we want? Recognition, recognition. And even our righteous, even our good behaviors are corrupt. Uh, Jesus said it this way. Look what Jesus said. This is in Mark 7:21. Uh, Jesus said it this way. Let me hear you read. For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts. Adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lewdness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, and foolishness. All of these things come from within and they defile a man. Where did Jesus say all that comes from? Tell me how you really feel, Jesus. Right? Look what he says. Look what's inside of us. Evil thoughts. Adulteries. If adultery begins in the heart, how many of us have committed adultery? Raise your hand, raise your feet, raise your pig toes, raise everything you got, because we're all guilty, right? Uh, and look, you know, oh, I hate that guy. That's a murder. Yeah, uh, I mean, we're, we're a mess. And Jesus says these things come from the heart. Uh, apart from Jesus, you and I are empty casings. Apart from Jesus, you and I are spiritually dead. Apart from Jesus, you and I are hollow molds, just empty shells. I want to take you back to creation when God made man. Do you remember what God, the Bible says? God formed man from where? from the dirt, from the dust of the ground. And it's interesting, uh, the same 17 trace elements that are in the soil, magnesium, phosphorus, zinc, etc. the same 17 trace elements in the soil, guess where they are? They're what you're made of. Science has discovered thousands of years later that what the Bible said was actually right. God made man from the dust of the earth, but he did not become a living being. He did not become spiritually alive until until God breathed into him the breath of life. You and you alone receive the breath of God. The word in Hebrew and in Greek, both languages, it's the same word, breath and spirit. God put his spirit into Adam, and then Adam became alive. We, on our own, are empty casings, empty shells. And we know it, man, we see it. We go through life and we grope around in the darkness going through life just looking for something to fill this empty hollow that is within us. It's why that we are trying to prove our worth all the time. Because we're empty and we're trying to be satisfied only the Spirit of God dwelling in us can fill this empty hollow. And so we walk around and we give ourselves a title. I'm a CEO. I'm a CFO. I'm a JYXYO. I'm a MD. I'm a DR. I'm a. What are we doing? We're trying to find purpose in life somewhere to fill this empty hollow. Jesus says, I'll do better than that. Take on my name. You are a Christian. You are me. You are my spirit dwelling in you. And this is what he, he desires for us. Uh, uh, we discover this, this emptiness. Uh, think about when you discovered it. Uh, that you when, when, did the, when did you become aware that we had, I'm like, I need to be something. I need, it really happens about at, at our adolescence. Sometime around our adolescence we discover I'm an empty shell. We become aware. And what happens? Well, we try to get, it's high school, man, and we try to make, we try to become something. And so we get into sports and we want to be the BMOC or we want to be the cheerleader. We want to be the prettiest girl. We want to be the best quarterback. We want to be the guy who hits the most home runs. And what are we doing? We're realizing that we're an empty shell and we're trying to fill it with success and when, and with social acceptance from our peers and trying to make people think that we really are something as we're trying to fill this emptiness. After high school, what happens? We go off to college. And we realize, wow, I didn't make it as high as I hoped in high school, maybe. I wasn't the, or maybe you were, I don't know, I wasn't. Uh, And so what do we do? We go off to college and we try to fill it with hedonism. Just sensual pleasures. Maybe I can fill it with partying and with sex and with just all the hedonism the world has to offer. And that doesn't work. And we get out of college, and then what do we do? We go to our career, and we try to fill it with our career. Well, maybe if I could be a doctor, an attorney, or a CEO, or whatever, then maybe. And then we try to fill it with kids, and with buying a house, and with and on and on it goes. And here's the problem. It can't be filled with anything but Jesus Christ. We are an empty hollow. And that is why we can't follow Jesus from a distance. The moment we follow Jesus from a distance, we become an empty shell of a man. An empty shell of a human, I mean. And uh, it's it's impossible to follow Jesus from a distance. C.S. Lewis, a great quote I want you to to read. Uh, Take a look at this. Let me hear you read this. The soul is but a hollow which God fills. Its union with God is almost by definition a continual self abandonment. Isn't that a good word? That's exactly what Jesus taught. He who seeks to find his life will what? Lose it. Lose it. But he who loses his life for my sake will find it. What's that? No, don't get your identity from being a CEO. Don't get your identity from having a really nice house, from hitting the most home runs, from being the prettiest girl for being the smartest woman attorney in California, don't get your identity from that, die to all that, draw close to me, and I will give you life, its union with God is almost by definition a continual keyword, not a one-time, a continual self-abandonment, Lord, I'm prone to want to do it on my own. Lord, I know I'm nothing without you. Here I am, Lord. Save me. I want to walk with you today. Uh, so so good to know that we hold on to these things right uh, we are molds and we're looking for something to complete us and the only thing that can is God himself it's what we were created for uh, another a quote for you from Malcolm Muggeridge uh, Malcolm Muggeridge was a prolific British journalist uh, around the time of uh, the second world war and uh, look what he says in this quote right here let me hear you read this I can say that I never knew what joy was like until I gave up pursuing happiness. I never cared to live until I chose to die. For these two discoveries, I'm beholden to Jesus. Here was a guy who was really sharp, prolific, He really, as a young man, really wanted to pursue communism, thought communism was the answer. Uh, Went to the Soviet Union and lived there for a while and realized, well, communism doesn't work, and he came back uh, with broken dreams and disgruntled and looking for life, and he finds it in Jesus Christ. Uh, Peter is trying to follow Jesus from a distance, and I want you to know it is impossible. It's just impossible. It's not difficult. It's impossible. Peter might, be, might, as, might just as well be trying to create his own oxygen to breathe. It's impossible. If God doesn't provide it, you die. You suffocate, right? You, it's, it's impossible. And uh, look what happens here. Oh, just painful to watch. The rooster crows. The rooster crows. And what happens when the rooster crows? Peter's spiritual bankruptcy is exposed. He goes out and he weeps bitterly. No doubt, Peter asking himself, why am I so messed up? Oh, my gosh. He said I was going to do this. I was so prideful. I thought, no way. And here I am. Oh, why am I so messed up? Why am I so empty? How did I get in the spot? What do I do now? I'm all alone. How did I get here? How did this happen? Answer. You tried following Jesus from afar. You thought too highly of your own righteousness. You didn't continue in prayer. And you started warming yourself by the enemy's fire. And you started finding comfort in sin. And this is always where it will take us. Wow. We leave Peter now and we move into Jesus's third illegal trial. Look what happens here in chapter 27. Meanwhile, back at the camp, we took a little sidebar of Jesus' illegal trial to see what was going on with Peter, and now we come back to Jesus. When morning came, you'll remember the Sanhedrin met in the middle of the night, like, you know, 1, 2 in the morning, and now it's probably 5 a.m., 6 a.m. Uh, when morning came, look at this, all of the chief priests... And the elders, that's the Sanhedrin, all the chief priests and the elders of the people who plotted against Jesus to put him to death, they all gathered together again. Verse 2. And when they had bound him, they led him away. And delivered him to Pontius Pilate the governor Uh, Pontius Pilate the Roman governor of Judea Uh, I got a couple questions for you we know that the Sanhedrin had just met in the darkness of night they had convicted Jesus uh, of saying uh, I'm gonna destroy the temple and being uh, making himself equal with God and so they ordered the death sentence that all happened in the darkness of night they judged and sentenced jesus for execution here's the question why then are they meeting again as a court in the morning why this is the third trial of jesus right here the third trial it was a short trial it probably only lasted 15 minutes 20 minutes i don't know short though short why here's why Jewish law. This is recorded in the Talmud, uh, the, the history of you know Jewish, uh, Jewish laws. Jewish law said that when the Sanhedrin met, met, they had to meet in public, and they had to meet during regular business hours to ensure that nothing was done in secret to ensure a fair trial. It would be illegal for them to do anything else. When did they meet? In the nighttime? Was it in public? No. No, it was in the middle of the night. And so, to be legal, they have to convey in the morning. The the decision's already been made. The verdict has already been given, and they just have a little uh, fake courtroom. Okay, court's in session. Guilty. Sentence them to death. Bam, done, and they send them off to pilot. Uh, next question why do they send him off to Pilate they've already convicted him they've already decided his sentencing he's going to be killed why send him off to Pilate here's why the Talmud tells us that in 6 AD the Romans took away the right for the Sanhedrin to issue capital punishment they could not issue capital punishment. They took that right away from them. When uh, Jerusalem became a providence of Rome, 6 AD, uh, the uh, Rome took away that right from uh, the, the Jewish Sanhedrin Supreme Court. And so now they have to get... Pilate involved to carry out the sentencing. Now, um, there are some exceptions. Uh, Rome held this law uh, fairly loosely. They gave them some liberties, and we see that like at the stoning of Stephen, right? Uh, The Sanhedrin stoned Stephen there right on the spot. The woman caught in the act of adultery, right? They held it fairly loosely with the Sanhedrin. They did give them some liberties, but Jesus was really popular. And Jesus was really high profile. And if the Sanhedrin would have stoned him, there would have been a riot, and Rome would have come down and taken away all of the Sanhedrin's power. So they had to send Jesus to Pilate. Uh, Does it make sense? And so this was the third trial. It was short and sweet. Uh, And uh, now, uh, you know, they send Jesus off to off to pilot, <clears throat> um, and now meanwhile the uh, uh, the story flips back to Judas. Now uh, we leave Jesus's third trial, and now we go to Judas. Uh, verse three. Are you there with me? Are you tracking? Then Judas, his betrayer. Everybody say his betrayer. What a way to be remembered. When you just think of the name, nobody names their kid Judas. Now, why? Association man, that guy was wicked, that guy was crazy, sad, right? Judas, his betrayer, seeing that he had, seeing that Jesus had been condemned, say these next words with me, was remorseful. Why? Why? And he brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priest. And to the elders brought them back to the Sanhedrin that had just met why did he do that he says listen I've I've sinned what I did was wicked I've betrayed innocent blood and they that's the Sanhedrin court said what what is that to us you see to it Here we see the Sanhedrin has lost their position, their God-given position, to make sure that justice was carried out in the land. They do not even care about justice. They're just trying to protect their own religious powers and position. And Judas is grieved. Why is he grieved? Well, here's why. He has seen Jesus beaten to a pulp. It's early morning. Jesus' face is swollen and bruised and black eyes and broken noses and uh, just marred, right, just marred. And Judas goes, oh man, I never meant for this to happen. What did you mean to happen, Judas? It wasn't about the money, he gives the money back. What was it about? Here's what it was about. Judas was following Jesus for a position of power and influence. He thought Jesus was the Messiah. He believed Jesus was the Messiah. He saw all the healings. He saw the blind seeing. He saw the lame walking. He saw the deaf uh, have their their, their uh, hearing restored. He saw the, the the cripple rise up and walk. He saw all of it. He saw Jesus command nature and nature obeys. He saw the demons being, he saw, he knew Jesus was the Messiah, but it never touched his heart. He was only father because he wanted a position of power himself sitting at the right hand of Jesus he wanted the the fame and the power and the influence and the notoriety and the wealth and everything that goes along with it and now he sees, well, none of that's working out Uh, they're going to kill this guy and and Judas goes, oh my gosh, uh, not what I wanted at all And the priest, the Sanhedrin, the the high court says, we don't give a rip. What is that to us? You see to it. Then he threw down the pieces of silver, verse 5, in the temple and departed. And he went and he hung himself. Committed suicide. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. So sad. Judas could have been one of Jesus' disciples. Judas could have been in heaven. uh, Judas could have been uh, just, I mean, used by God to bring salvation to so many lives. Judas could have had a life filled with with joy and and gratitude and, and just purpose as God works in him. Instead, He is a vile betrayer, a deceiver. So much so that we even recognize his name as that, Judas the betrayer. And Judas, where is he now? Where is he? He's in Hades. Waiting eternal judgment before the great white throne of Jesus Christ where he will be sent to a lake of fire for all eternity. There is weeping and gnashing of teeth. Judas is in misery. Why? All because he would not make Jesus his Lord. All because he would not make Jesus his Lord. I want you to know something. I don't want anyone to miss this point. Religion, your religion, is vile to God unless Jesus is your Lord. I don't care what religion you practice. You might be a theo- uh, just a, a biblical theologian. You might be the pastor of a church. You might be preaching right now. But if Jesus isn't your Lord, your religion is vile to God. Lord, what does that mean? It means I die to myself. And I present myself to your service, Lord. I die to doing things my way. I do things your way. That's what it means to make Jesus Lord of our life. Judas, his life, ends up hanging himself. Verse 6, look what happens. The chief priest took the silver pieces and said, it is not lawful to put them into the treasury because they are the uh, the price of blood. Can you imagine this? The hypocrisy is incredible, isn't it? They're saying, hey, we can't put this in the tithes and offerings to use for the kingdom because it's blood money. What? Are you kidding? Their seared conscience is just on display. Forget about worrying that you're holding a, a kangaroo court, doing illegal things, you're so wicked yourself, you're straining at a gnat, and you're swallowing a camel. Just amazing, right? Uh, look at verse 7. Uh, we don't want to break the law of God. Verse 7. And they consulted together, and they bought with them the potter's field to bury strangers in it. A potter's field would be the field next to the potter as he makes the pots. So oh, this one's messed up. And he throws out the pot. The pot would break. All the pot shears would go into the ground. And the ground was virtually worthless. Things didn't grow. Uh, Cut your feet if you walk on it. And so you could buy it for cheap and they bought the potter's field. Um, uh, Verse eight, therefore the field has been called the field of blood to this day. Verse nine, uh, this was fulfilled, excuse me, then was fulfilled what was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet saying, and they took 30 pieces of silver the value of him who was who was priced, whom they, the children of Israel, priced, and they gave them for the that's the silver. They gave the silver for the potter's field, as the Lord directed me. Um, an amazing prophecy. Uh, The Bible is here quoting from the book of Zechariah, written 480 years before Jesus even came to earth, right? 400 years prior, the Bible prophesied this. Let's look at the verse. We looked at it a few weeks ago, but it's worth looking at. Look at this. Let me hear you read it. Uh, This is God speaking to the prophet uh, um, uh, Zechariah, and uh, uh, God says, Zechariah, this is what I want you to do. So I said to them, if it is agreeable to you, give me my wages and if not, refrain. Uh, Here's a a prophecy of Jesus and here's what God is saying. What do you think my son is worth? How much do you think God in the flesh is worth? Would you put him in the most beautiful sweet that you have? Would you worship him and, and just have all the world come and bow before him? Would you have concerts to worship him and to praise him and to exalt him? What would you give for him? And their answer? Well, they wait out for my wages, 30 pieces of silver. That's what they thought Jesus was worth. Uh, Let's go on. And the Lord said to me, throw it to the potter, that princely price they set on me. How did God feel about that 30 pieces of silver that he was betrayed for? That's what I'm worth? Are you kidding me? Throw it to the potter. So I took the 30 pieces of silver and threw them into the house of the potter, excuse me, into the house of the Lord for the potter. And here we see 480, now 500 and something years later, it being fulfilled literally to the T, Uh, the power of God's word, right? I mean, again, the sovereignty of God over all of it. And so, here we see this, uh, you know, this issue going on in Peter's life, and now we see what's going on in Judas's life, and now we see what's going on in the uh, the Sanhedrin's, the high priest's life, and it all says this, our religion is vile to God unless Jesus is our Lord. Uh, It's just the folly of vain religion, right? Uh, May we take that to heart. Now we move to the fourth trial of Jesus in verse 11, uh, where Jesus... Now goes before Pilate. This is the fourth trial, fourth illegal trial of Jesus. Verse 11. Now Jesus stood before the governor. Uh, that's Pontius Pilate, right? The Roman governor of Judea. Uh, and the governor asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus said to him, It is as you say. And while he was being accused by the chief priest and the elders, he answered, Nothing. So here's the, here's the picture. Here's this fourth trial. He's there before Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor. And all the Sanhedrin are there. Uh, they're just jeering and pushing and, and trying to pressure Pilate. He did this and he did this and he did this. And they're putting pressure on Pilate. And Jesus, excuse me, Pilate talks to Jesus and Jesus responds what? Nothing, nothing. Pilate said to him, verse 13, Do you not hear how many things this Sanhedrin high court is testifying against you? Uh, Loose paraphrase. Dude, you better speak up. They want to kill you, right? But he answered them, not a word. So the governor marveled greatly. And uh, this was Jesus's fourth trial. Uh, The story is really better told in Luke. Flip over to Luke chapter 23. I want to take a look there and we get more detail there of what happened. Luke 23. Tell me when you're there. Listen to all those Bibles turning. Such a good sound. Got a nice email this week that said, "Hey, first thing I know, came to your church, came to the church this Sunday, and first thing I noticed is people brought Bibles. I was really encouraged by that. Hey, good on you, church. Your life is a witness, man. Your you're, good things happening. Uh, chapter twenty-three. Are you there? Say amen. amen. So the whole multitude of them arose and led them to Pilate. Again, this is the beginning of the fourth trial, right? Uh, They want him crucified. They can't crucify him himself. So they're going to Pilate to get Pilate to crucify him. Verse 2. And they began to accuse him, saying they bring three charges uh, before Pilate. Look at the three charges. Circle the first one. Number one. We found this fellow perverting the nation. Number two, and forbidding to pay taxes to Caesar. Number three, and saying that he himself is Christ, a king. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. These were not the charges that they brought against Jesus at all. The charges they brought against Jesus was that he said he was going to destroy the temple. And that he professed to be the Messiah. Now they're changing the charges completely. Why are they changing them? Because Pilate would care less about the charges they charged him for, and so now they just invented what? Three brand new charges that they bring against a Roman court for the things that a Roman court would care about. He's perverting the nation of Rome, he won't pay taxes to Caesar, and he says he's the king. Would that bother Rome? Yes. What are the what are the what is the Sanhedrin doing? Are they making sure a fair trial is going on? Or are they pandering to whatever Pilate wants to hear, right? What they think Pilate will want to hear. Can you believe how wicked and illegal now this fourth trial is? Incredibly illegal. Pilate answered him, saying, Are you a king of the Jews? And he answered and said, It is as you say. I wanna give you the full gamut of what is uh, actually happening here. And for that, I wanna look at John 18. You don't have to turn there. I put it on your screens for you. Uh, This is the discussion between Jesus and Pilate. Look at this. Uh, They led Jesus from Caiaphas to the praetorium. A praetorium was a Roman judgment hall, right? And it was early morning, but they, that's the Sanhedrin, they themselves did not go into the praetorium lest they should be defiled because it was a Gentile court. Don't want to defile ourselves. It's Passover. Can you see the hypocrisy? It's astonishing. They're they're, they're lying to kill the Messiah, and yet they don't want to defile themselves by going into a Gentile court and become unclean. Crazy, uh, you know, religion is just nauseating. Um, So they might eat the Passover. Rest of the verse. Read with me. Pilate then went out to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? they answered and said to him if he were not an evil doer we would not deliver him up to you what kind of answer is that right Pilate said to them you take him and judge him according to your law keep going Therefore, the Jews, that's the Sanhedrin court, said to them, It's not lawful for us to put anyone to death. You took away that right from us, right? That the saying of Jesus might be fulfilled, which he spoke, signifying by what death he would die. Here's what that means. If the Sanhedrin court was going to issue capital punishment, it would be capital punishment by stoning. But that's not how the Bible prophesied the Messiah would be killed. How did the Bible prophesy the Messiah would be killed? So for that to happen, it had to be through Rome. Uh, That's what this verse is saying right here. Uh, Let's go on. Then Pilate entered the praetorium, the judgment hall, and again called Jesus and said, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered him saying, are you speaking for yourself about this? Or did others tell you this concerning me? Great answer, Jesus. What's Jesus saying? Pilate, you're asking if I'm the king of the Jews? Do you care, or are you just doing your job? Because it's going to affect the way I answer you. Are you asking from the heart, or are you just going through the motions? If you want Jesus to reveal himself to you, you cannot just go through the motions. It has to be from the heart. Uh, Let's go on, rest of the verse. Pilate answered, am I a Jew? Am I a churchgoer? Uh, Your own nation and your chief priest have delivered you to me. The Sanhedrin's delivered you to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now, my kingdom is not from here. Jesus is saying, oh, you said right that I'm a king, but my kingdom is way bigger than this little puny kingdom. Uh, This isn't my kingdom. Pilate gets the message. Look what he says. Therefore, Pilate said to them, are you a king then? Jesus said, you said rightly that I'm a king. For this cause I was born, and for this cause I have come into the world. What cause was that? to die for the sins of the world on a cross. For this purpose I came, Jesus said, that I should bear witness to the truth. Witness to what truth? That your righteousness is like filthy rags and you need a savior to die for you. And that God so loves you that he would do that he would take he would become a man and take on that sin himself and die on the cross for you i came witness i came to bear witness of this truth that you're a sinner destined for hell and you need a messiah to pay the penalty of your sin i came for a witness of that truth wow pretty pretty good bible study with pilate huh jesus and pilate Uh, Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Wow, so profound. Everyone who is of the truth hears these words and goes, Oh, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. Please save me, Jesus. I believe that that's who you are. I believe that you died on the cross from, from, in my place. Give me your righteousness as a free gift. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. And Pilate said, What the heck is truth, man? I've been looking for it my whole life. I can't find it. And when he said this, he went out and said to them, I want you to know I find no fault in him at all. Let's go back to our passage in in, uh, in Luke, and we'll finish up right here. We're on verse 4. So Pilate said to the chief priest and to the crowd, I find no fault in this man. But they were more fierce, saying he stirs up the people, teaching throughout all of Judea, beginning in Galilee to this place. And when Pilate heard the word Galilee, he asked if the, if Jesus was a Galilean. And as soon as he knew that he belonged to the Her- to Herod, to Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him to Herod who was also in Jerusalem at the time. And uh, so here we now move into the fifth trial of Jesus. What's Pilate doing? He's trying to say, man, I want a way out of this. But here's the problem. Instead of standing for truth, he's trying to take the politically right way out, trying to appease everybody. And here's what happens. When you try to appease everybody, you will offend God. You cannot please God and be a man-pleaser, and you have to decide who's your audience. Do you want to please man or do you want to please God? You can't do both. It's a sin. It's a snare to be a man-pleaser. Now we move to the fifth trial. We'll wrap up on this. Just a couple more verses. We're done. Uh, Verse 8. Now when Herod saw Jesus, he was exceedingly glad, for he had desired for a long time to see him, because he heard about the many things about him, and he hoped to see some miracle done for him. Why does Herod want to see Jesus? Entertain me. Show me something powerful. I'm getting bored with all my entertainment. I'm getting bored with HBO and Showtime and going to the movies and going out to dinner. I want to see some entertainment. Now, on Sunday, when I go to church, let's, let's have a performance. We cannot come to Jesus with wrong motives. Jesus will not perform for you. I want you to know that. He's not a performer. He calls us into a deep and abiding relationship with him. But he's, not a, a, he's not, a, not a circus toy. Verse 68. No. Where did I leave off? I actually lost my spot. Where are we? Oh, thank you. Apologize about that. Um, then he questioned Jesus. Herod questions Jesus with many words but he answered nothing. Jesus answers nothing. And the chief priest and the scribes stood by and vehemently accused him. Now they're pressuring Herod. He did this, and he did this, and he did this. Then Herod, with his men of war, all of his soldiers and powerful warriors, treated him, that's Jesus, with contempt, and mocked him and arrayed him in a gorgeous robe and sent him back to Pilate. I want you to think, what robe do you think they probably put on Jesus? Probably one of Herod's old robes. And here, Jesus is now clothed with the filth, the sexual immorality, and the perverseness of Herod's robe. A picture of the cross. Jesus taking our sin on his own back. The king of sin being crucified for us. Wow. And Herod sends him back now to Pilate. And he and Pilate were enemies up to that point. And they become friends, reconciled, as the King Jesus takes the curse of sin upon his own back. And there we finish the fifth illegal trial of Jesus, and we'll pick up the sixth illegal trial of Jesus next week.